This week on the podcast, Samdesk is offering its AI-powered monitoring and alerts to those who need to stay informed about what's happening in Ukraine. Plus, the top five finalists for Startup TNT's Life Sciences Investment Summit and a company that says it's developing the next generation of COVID tests. Hi, I'm Emily Randall-Watson. And I'm Faiza Ramji, and this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Okay, so to get us started today, I wanted to tell you about a story that I worked on. I was browsing LinkedIn and came across a post from James Newfeld, who's the CEO and founder of Samdesk. And he was offering his company's crisis monitoring and alerts to people and organizations who need to stay informed about what's happening in Ukraine as Russia continues the invasion it launched on February 24th. So I'm sure you're probably familiar with Samdesk and perhaps those listening are as well. It was founded in 2013 and initially set out to help newsrooms monitor breaking news. Then it later pivoted to help all kinds of organizations understand what's going on. And James Newfeld told me when I spoke to him about this story in particular that they're really driven by this thesis of social media being a disruptive factor for how information gets discovered. So normally they offer their crisis monitoring and alert tool as a subscription, but in this situation, they're making it free and they've been absolutely inundated with requests to access it. So how is that working? Like anybody who wants to get alerts um, about what's going on in Ukraine can just get a free account or how, how are they how are they handling those requests? So initially when James put this out on LinkedIn, he was just saying anyone can DM me and get access to our service. Since then it's evolved a little bit and they've set up an email, Ukraine support at samdas.io for access to the alerts. And technically, yes, it is open to anyone, but they're prioritizing requests from first responders and others that actually have a direct need for this information. So for example, like Amnesty International and other NGOs and governments that really need that eyewitness perspective. Um, There's also corporate clients, which is their largest client base normally that need to keep track of sanctions or other restrictions so that brands can be aware of their responsibilities to respond to the situation. Wow, that's so interesting. You know, I, I do wonder about all of the misinformation and just ge- general challenges in getting accurate and unbiased information in general. How, do this, how does the team at Sanda- Samdesk start tackling that? Because I, I just think that, you know, even using an AI-enabled software, doesn't it just add to the noise? Right. Yeah. So that was my big question as well. And I did ask James that, and he told me that their tool does have several checks and balances in place that aim to fight misinformation and disinformation. And the big key to that is that they're not paying attention to political commentary or rhetoric. Instead, they're looking at physical real world events. So different data sources from different angles to corroborate what they think are factual events. And then, of course, there's also the Samdesk team and people who work there. So once the company's artificial intelligence detects an event like an explosion, a missile attack, gunfights, or troop movements, they can then contextualize what happened by gathering all that other information that only really a a human can do in terms of that context. Oh, that's so interesting. So kind of combining the best of both worlds in terms of human understanding and logic as well as computer. That's that's pretty interesting. And I can see how that would be 
so valuable. I mean, I remember closer to the beginning of when Samdesk first launched, I was working at the organization formerly known as Edmonton Economic Development. And we did have a subscription to it because we were trying to see how we could collect information about um, specific things happening in Edmonton. And it feels like now the value proposition is so much more important, just given how much is going on in the world and how quickly things are changing. Is this the first time that Samdesk is really kind of part of part of something that's happening so globally and giving giving access to to different interest groups? No. So it actually put out a call. It's a well, the second time it put out a call to people who needed its information at the beginning of the pandemic in March 2020. And that offer lasted for about six months. And the reason for that was because more government programs were established and regular reporting really became the main source of information for people and businesses about the COVID-19 pandemic. And so James told me that the value that Samdesk offers will likely be similar uh, in terms of what's happening right now. So we'll see that value decrease as governments and journalists develop more substantial reporting structures. But in the meantime, it's a great stopgap as things are happening in terms of COVID and uh, what's happening in Ukraine. Right off the bat, Samdesk can kind of get in there and and provide those alerts and that monitoring like from when something happens. And so as it takes time for journalists and government programs, et cetera, to get established, I think that that's, that's such an important service in terms of making sure that people have the information that they need. And, and of course, that piece of making sure that it's the, the correct information as well. Yeah. And I guess, you know, unfortunately, it seems like there's more and more of these events that are so global in nature and in terms of their reach as well. You know, what, what I wonder about is it does seem like a really good reinforcement for why something like Samdesk is so important and so needed by many people. And I appreciate the fact that James and his team are offering the service for free in, in these types of crises. But if this is the time when their product is the most valuable, then how do they how do they balance this idea? Do you know between bringing in new clients and increasing their their revenues versus trying to make tools like this accessible in such an important time? Did you have a chance to talk with him about that? Yeah, I did. I think like that was the big piece as well. Like you know, how do you one how is it viable to do this, but also how do you make that decision about when to actually lift the paywall on your services? And so. Samdesk's business model actually makes it possible to do this for free during a large-scale crisis like what's happening right now because its tool is processing all of that data either way. So adding new users is really an incremental cost. Um, And that decision about when to actually lift the paywall or lift the subscription fees is really based on the magnitude of the crisis. So in this case, he said when the impact extends far beyond the borders of what, where what's actually happening is is happening, and, and that's how they look at it. And so COVID obviously impacted the whole world, Ukraine, and um, very seriously impacting those who live there, but also you know impacts on the whole world as well in other ways. So doing this also helps Samdesk demonstrate what it has on offer for its services, which can bring in more business. Um, But of course, they recognize that many of the organizations and people who use their services for free might never become customers because they don't actually need that level of crisis alerting on an ongoing basis. So during a situation like this one, maybe there is the need to keep track of what's going on for responding purposes 
et cetera. But it wouldn't necessarily make sense to do that when a situation is less severe, for example. But that's okay because their overall goal in terms of what they're hoping to do is really to alleviate that confusion and chaos and provide people with insight. And so, of course, they want to make sure that their company you know, is financially healthy and this makes sense to do. But ultimately, um, they do really want to help in these situations. And I think this situation of actually having access to all of this data and going through that either way, like why not make that available, which I think is a really great standpoint to have as a company. You know, if you have that to offer, yeah, you, you don't necessarily need to put a, a price tag on it in a situation like this and that it's an opportunity to to help other human beings around the world and clearly it does also pay off uh, for their business as well afterwards, potentially. Um, and, and Samdesk is doing well regardless. I did uh, ask James about the company in terms of where they're at. We'd done a little reporting, a bit of reporting at Taproot last fall when Samdesk closed its 13.5 million Series A funding round. And they've doubled from 25 to 50 staff since then. And they're still hiring very consistently. And they're hoping to add another 25 people to their team within the next year. So that would bring them to, to 75. So they're, wow. uh, they're doing, yeah, they're doing well and they're growing, which is great to see. It is great to see. And I think the fact that they are able to you know, kind of rally behind these types of big events that are happening in the world. And if something is really important globally and they're able to step in and help with their product, you know, not that this is their main driver, but again, it gets Samdesk on a bit of a global radar. And in terms of attracting talent, which we've talked about is always a, a challenge in Edmonton is finding more mid and senior level talent from around the world. You know, this is a great way to do that because other people who may care a lot about similar causes and and sharing these types of solutions, you know, they might be drawn to Samdesk as um, as an employer. So I think all in all, there's probably lots of benefits that the team will get without even having that be their main focus. So uh, it's really nice to see that you know Edmonton companies are able to jump into these these global conversations and things that are happening beyond just our own community. So good for them. I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it's and it's a great story. I think that this is something that we can talk about here from Edmonton is great, and um, yeah, I think I think it's fantastic. Yeah, no, for for us, it was really a way to talk about the situation in Ukraine and get at it locally, and you know, not only showcase what an Edmonton-based company is doing to offer support, but also connect local organizations with Samdesk and and what they're offering. So we heard um, from James, the CEO, that after our article went out that they had heard from an Edmonton charity who focuses on infant and maternal health supports in emergencies and disasters, and they're currently needing to monitor Ukraine closely. So they've actually been able to get set up on the platform now. So that was great to hear. And I think, you know, as a journalist and as a media company, it's always great that when there's actual tangible, uh, something comes out of your story that is tangible and, and helpful and um, that, that that connection was able to be facilitated in, in a way through doing that. So that was great to see. And hopefully, of course, um, that more folks will potentially hear this and or, or read the story or just hear directly from Samdesk about what they're offering. And so I will read that email one more time about if folks do need access to those alerts, it's Ukraine support at samdesk.io. Awesome. 
yeah, that that is great. And uh, hopefully everybody who needs the information is getting it through Samdesk. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. Here is a word from our sponsor. At Innovate Edmonton, we are elevating our city as a global capital of innovation, a thriving center of inspiration, ingenuity, and growth. Our role is to empower you as local innovators, connecting you to capital and customers, helping you to achieve your goals and make a global impact. We're supporting career-defining jobs for a rapidly changing world where companies, consumers, and investors are looking for a triple bottom line of people, planet, and prosperity. When global investment looks at Edmonton, we can demonstrate an innovation ecosystem working in harmony with healthy access to capital, collaborative communities, and a competitive spirit. Go to InnovateEdmonton.com today to learn how to accelerate your business. All right. Well, on to headlines. Uh, One from Startup TNT to start us off. They have announced the top five finalists for their Life Sciences Summit that's coming up on March 17th in Edmonton. So the top five companies are Allskin Inc., Definity Solutions, Mach 32, Nanotest, and The Natural Nipple. And Mach 32 is the only Edmonton company on the list. And if you haven't heard about them before, they're focused on creating innovative medical devices like their aerosol containment tent, otherwise known as ACT or ACT. Um, The tent actually uses negative pressure and a HEPA filter to contain 99.97% of particles, which in turn protects healthcare workers from viruses like COVID-19. And they did come up with this during uh, the pandemic as well. So they'll be seeking some investment during the Life Sciences Summit to work on that project and other projects that they have in the works for their medical devices. And so Mach 32 and all of the other entrepreneurs will be pitching live in Edmonton at Startup Edmonton, which is uh, in the Mercer Warehouse currently on March 17th. Cool. And then another exciting thing that's just opened up in Edmonton, I saw this article on Taproot earlier today, the kitchen, a learning and community kitchen facility that's located in the Stanley A. Milner Library is finally ready to open to the public this month. They've got a an in-person grand opening celebration scheduled on March 16th and a virtual tour that will run on March 19th. That is very cool. I love the idea of... Uh... You know, especially as things start to open back up, having something like this in the library, which I feel like has been a real, because of COVID, it's really too bad that it hasn't been able yet to become kind of a hub in in downtown Edmonton. But hopefully this will help it get there a little bit and, and bring people to the library, but a real opportunity to for sure foster some learning and community within the downtown core. And I think I'll be really interested to see as well what some of the workshops and offerings are uh, out of there. They've got a few listed already that you can uh, pre-register for. So if you go on their website, you'll see that there's registration for the virtual sneak peek sessions on March 19th and 20th. And they've also got workshops listed there. So there's one from Fox Burgers, Sean O'Connor, who will teach you how to make fluffy pancakes. 
and Pepe's Chew's chef, Scott Iserhoff. I hope I'm pronouncing that restaurant name correctly. Uh, chef Scott Iserhoff will be showing you how to make indigenous potato pancakes. Uh, those two workshops already have wait lists, but there are other sessions on preparing a Spanish-themed supper, brownie baking, and cocktails. So uh, if you are interested in that, you may want to sign up pretty quickly since those classes are free of charge. Um, but I'm sure eventually they probably will start charging for some of these workshops that might have you know, specific ingredient lists or things like that as they start to look at um, in person. But I love what the library is doing. I'm a big fan. And, you know, this kind of reminds me of when they first opened the Makerspace and their podcast studio. And I think they had like a, you could make and bind your own books in there. So I think it's just nice to see at a community level places that you can physically go in and tinker with things and just try something new or learn something new. Um, and obviously the library is a a great place in general to learn about new things. So I love that they're extending that to kind of more of these tangible experiences. Yeah, you're making me as we're talking, you're making me think about the library is an incredibly innovative place. It's kind of like our conversation about the airport. Like, I think libraries have maybe we'll have to talk about this down the road, but libraries have evolved so much over the years. And what you think back to like what maybe a library offered I don't know, 20 years ago and what you see now and how much is there? Like, I don't the li- a lot of the branches have 3D printers now? Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, a library is the perfect place for curious minds, right? Like that that's kind of the goal of the library is you go there and discover new ideas and you learn new things. So why should that be limited to just books? And I think EPL has done a great job, even in its architecture. Like if you look at the Jasper Place Library, that is such a beautiful addition to that neighborhood. And the fact that they were able to take risks with the design of their spaces or how their spaces are experienced differently, the innovation kind of starts there and then continues on to what you can do inside it. And I I feel like even the fact that they're removing so many barriers, you know, we've got access to free library cards. You can take a lot of these workshops for free. You can use a lot of this equipment. It's just kind of saying that anybody can learn something new and anybody can ha- have take advantage of innovative thinking because the tools are all here and available and accessible. So I I love it. I think um I think the library definitely has a lot more to comment about the state of innovation than we necessarily think about just at first glance. Definitely. Yeah, and I think just coming back to the um learning and community kitchen I am very keen to uh, check out some of these classes. I think the, I can't remember if you mentioned this, but I think that the Foxberger, um, Ashan O'Connor and Scott Iserhoff's one have wait lists, it looks like. But um, I mean, I would love to do that Foxberger one. Big mm-hmm. fan of Foxburger. Also a big fan of pancakes, but all of them look delicious. So <laughs> hopefully, maybe they'll do a repeat. <laughs> Highly requested. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of eating in general. So, yes. you know, they kind of had me at kitchen. So I'm, yeah. I'm definitely going to check it out. I also feel that. <laughs> um, here is another one that I was really interested to read about and learn more about, which in hindsight may be a little weird because I think we're all maybe pretty exhausted by by COVID at this point. But I mean, I think given that COVID is still very much with us, with us, I'm still really encouraged to see companies and businesses who are trying to come up with better, faster approaches to all kinds of different solutions. And so this one 
Biostream Diagnostics, which is based in Edmonton, they're working on what they say is the next generation of COVID tests. And so what they're doing is combining advanced biosensors with artificial intelligence, which I read that and went like, what the heck does that mean? So <laughs> what they're doing is they, they have a testing device that uses electrochemical transistors, which capture biochemical information from a sample. So that would mean like saliva. And then they translate it into electrical signals. So the test uses a handheld reader and disposable test strips, which is very similar to like a blood sugar monitor, for example. And you put saliva on the strip and then you would insert it into the reader, which then measures the electrical signal of the sample. And then from there, if COVID-19 is present, then there's a particular change in voltage, which the reader that that is looking at the strip then uses to give a positive or negative result within a matter of minutes. So really a lot faster than antigen or PCR tests that are currently on the market. Um, and, and obviously for businesses that are doing COVID-19 testing, that's uh, a, a pretty important factor rather than waiting, you know, like 20 minutes to an hour or, or longer, depending on the test that they're using. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting to see how um, machine learning has helped the company and um, to actually analyze results from the testing platform and uh, to be able to do this, but also um, it's helping them figure out what is relevant and irrelevant data which can make the test more reliable and accurate. So based on their in-house testing, the um, their voltage-based system has accuracy, which they say is similar to that of PCR tests. But obviously, there's no need to send the samples off to a lab in that case. So if that is indeed true, that would be even better than a PCR test. So they're actually working on clinical trials right now for the platform and talking with manufacturers to build the readers and test strips. So any manufacturers listening, get in touch with them. And they say that it could be used to detect other infectious diseases as well. And they're also looking into the possibility of uh, detecting certain types of cancer, which would be a, a huge, hugely important and helpful tool if it, it was able to do that. Yeah, I think I think that's amazing. I mean, for me, the biggest issue with the, uh, well, I'm sure everyone thinks this, but the issue with the rapid antigen tests is, you know, there's so many false negatives and it does take so long and there's a lot of potential user error in there, uh, especially when you think about kids and things like that. So anything, I mean, the whole idea of machine learning and being able to process large amounts of data quickly and get smarter and smarter and, and more accurate just kind of feels like a natural win from a, from a, you know, medical standpoint, uh, especially with COVID. But even I'm just thinking, as you're saying this, like I'm, I try, you know, I got on a plane for the first time since uh, January of 2020 and, and went to Vancouver for a few days. And, you know, even thinking about the airport and how they could use something like this would be really interesting because just in general, not even, not even just for COVID, but beyond, like you were talking about with, you know, implications on other infectious diseases, that would be such a, a good tool to be able to use even like a self in a self-serve way when you when you go to places like the airport or to a major event or a festival or something like that. So that's pretty cool. And and I love to see stories like this coming out of, of Edmonton. So that's amazing. Um, and of course, as usual, there's a lot of amazing research coming out of the University of Alberta. 
two headlines that caught our eye. One is there are some researchers at the University of Alberta that are developing monitoring technology that can help assess the effectiveness of carbon capture. Mirko van der Ban uh, has a project that's received over half a million dollars from Emissions Reduction Alberta as part of a $2 million funding announcement for carbon capture, utilization, and storage projects. And on that same energy reduction tip, we've got Taliana Huff from the University of Alberta, who was awarded the 2021 CMC Microsystems Douglas R. Colton Medal for Research Excellence uh, for groundbreaking research that lays the foundation for computers and mobile phones that can use 100 times less energy than traditional or typical computers and mobile phones. Okay. Well, that is it for this week. If you haven't already, please subscribe so you don't miss our upcoming episodes of Bloom. You can, as always, visit taprootedmonton.ca for the latest innovation news. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave Von Beeker and cover art by Vicky Wersinski. 